All right, good evening, gang. Tonight we'll be in Matthew 28 and maybe slip over to Acts 1. We'll see how we go. Acts 28, or Matthew 28 is really short, but we'll see how far we get. There's kind of a, a lot here. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, we thank you that we're able to get in your word and spend some time together, um, all coming from different places this week and carrying different things, uh, hurts, uh, victories, um, worries, things like that. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, by your word, that you administer to each person, just bring them the peace that they need, the encouragement that they need, and um, would you lift this up? We, we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Not to be a Debbie Downer, I mean to start off like that, and if your name's Debbie, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but uh, the shoe fits, I mean. Um, the prayer of Jabez keeps coming up in my mind and, and has since about one o'clock this afternoon. And that well, the part that sticks out the most to me, of course, is the, I just don't want to do any harm, you know? And as we go through this last chapter and um, the condition of everybody that followed Jesus, all the disciples after his death, before his resurrection, or before at least they know that he's resurrected, they're in such a place of desperation and hurt and fear, and I mean, every emotion out there, they had put all their eggs in one basket, you know? And as far as they're concerned, that egg, that basket's been crushed. And so understand that. That's where we're, that's where we're meeting everybody. That's where Jesus is meeting everybody. Um, they are three days into mourning, uh, realization, you know, they've gone through all those steps, denial, how can this be? Um, bargaining, the whole thing, you know, all the things that people go through when someone dies in their life. Um, they're going through that. I mean, they're in the middle of that. And yet still, they've got their eye on God. They've got their eye on everybody else around them. What are, how are their reactions? I don't know how everybody else in the world is taking this. And what I'm feeling normal, you know, or, or am I still off base? Should I even still have a glimmer of hope? Um, or is it ridiculous? All these things are happening in, in their lives. And so it's interesting when they meet Jesus, and we just get one of the four accounts tonight. You know, there's four different Gospels and four different ways of looking at it, four different eyewitnesses, basically, or interviewers or whatever, because we know that Luke was writing much later and was only getting um, bits and pieces from it. And uh, uh, Mark was actually writing Peter's account, so he was it was more of an interview there. So but we're getting, you get four different perspectives of the same event and how each person was ministered to um, in, these final, in this final moment when Jesus reveals himself as resurrected, um, which has got to be hard to take. I mean, you can't imagine as you've come to that place and you're trying to accept it, you know, and squash down all the hope and just move on kind of thing um, to see him again. And here's what they have seen for three and a half years. They've seen in a man, a person, a human being, everything they'd hoped they'd meet in somebody. And we really got to drive that home because every one of us has come to Jesus because of that. We finally met somebody who has loved us despite us, you know, our failings, our shortcomings, all those things that um, make us feel like we're either unlovable or untouchable. He's someone they've met that they're not afraid to come near. I mean, he's the most religious guy they've ever met, and yet he's the least scary guy they've ever met. 
when he goes out in the middle of nowhere, five to 10,000 people show up because he's that approachable. He was telling them straight up what they needed, um, the condition of their souls, what he was there to do. I mean, he was very forward about what he, he didn't pull any punches just to get people to like him. He wasn't a charismatic person. In fact, the Bible says there was no form or calliness that we should desire him. But they had seen in him, in this person, God come in the flesh. This is exactly what I've hoped for. That There's just something about their hearts were drawn to his heart. And so as I stand up here about ready to read God's word, knowing very well that I can get in the way, that's why the prayer of Jabez comes up. Please, J.D., or any of us, for that matter, when we share the gospel, don't do any harm. Because he by himself draws people. He by himself is appealing and beautiful and loving and perfect, you know. And it's only when we step in between that and try to help people along, you know, is when we can kind of do some harm. So as we go through this, keep that in mind. These ladies that are going to go to the tomb here, it's the first day of the week. They're expecting to embalm him, expecting to find a dead friend, a dead teacher, a dead whatever he was to them in their life. And to do what they wanted to do for him because he was such a blessing to them, that's the least they can do is to be a blessing to him. Now, the men, maybe cultural, probably so, are nowhere near the tomb. Um, only the women come to the tomb. And, and for the most part, that was how it always was anyway. Um, not because they were lazy, or because, but there were just different roles, different uh, accepted practices and so on of what, of what one person would do versus another. But that being said, these women showing up at the tomb when nobody else was there, um, nobody else wanted to be there, maybe many were afraid to be there, because they do the right thing, they're going to be blessed. And that's something I hope that we learn tonight. Regardless of any kind of blessing that's going to come my way or advantage that's going to come my way, they're not looking for that. They're showing up to do the right thing. And in the process of just doing the right thing, that's going to gain them nothing. They get to see Jesus first. And that's where he meets them. They get to hear the message first. They get to send the message and share with the guys who are huddled in a locked room, scared to death, not knowing what to do next with this movement they thought was going to just take the world by storm, but now they're huddled and hiding. These ladies get to be the first ones to tell these men, it's on. It's still on, you know. It's just not happening like we thought it was. So verse 1, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, a lot of Marys back then, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I think that's kind of funny, personally, but just sitting there waiting. Who's going to be here first, you know? His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Not, not literally dead men, but like dead men. You know, frozen in fear, um, maybe even passed out. I guess we really don't know exactly their condition, but we know this. They've been, as the Roman guard, they've been neutralized by just the presence of this guy in a white robe. You know, he's sitting on the tomb. He was that 
intimidating. And so now you know, as you go through scripture and you see everybody, when they see an angel fall down and worship him, they don't know what else to do. You are way bigger and brighter than anything I've ever seen before. Obviously, I need to worship it, it, this thing that's in front of me. No, 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 don't worship me. Get up. All the angels say, get up, don't do that. You can see why these guys are terrified. So let's do some maintenance here, some doctrine. Let's get some basics down. We've been kind of doing that off and on, talking about some of the basics of the faith of Christianity. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because of this. That's why we do it. Why do we worship on the first day of the week when God said the seventh day was the Sabbath? When that's the day that we're supposed to set aside to do no work, why do we as Christians worship on the first day of the week? It's because of this moment right here. Um, and, and the tradition of the church was to now meet. They would actually still go on Saturday to synagogue, to temple, as Jewish believers, and then on Sunday would meet together and celebrate the Lord's resurrection. I mean, every Sunday kind of thing. And so that's where the church, now us being Gentiles, we, would, we wouldn't go to synagogue or temple. We'd just do the Sunday thing. And it wasn't Sunday back then. They didn't call it the worship of the sun Sunday. You know, it's the first day of the week. And so um, there are some that make a big deal out of this. Um, they say that you, you're not supposed to worship on the first day. You're supposed to worship on the seventh day. And they make a, in fact, they make an entire denomination out of that um, because you're doing it wrong and we're doing it right and whatever. Um, so here's some scriptures that we go off of. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples uh, came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. It was a normal practice and common for them to meet, to break bread, to have communion and talk about the Lord and, and have a teaching about Jesus on the first day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, uh, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So when you meet on the first day of the week, that's when you do that. And, and then when I come, I'll, I'll bring it to Jerusalem or, or whatever. So we have that. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you choose to worship on Saturday. I don't, I don't have a problem with a denomination that chooses to worship on a different day of the week. That's not my issue, nor do I make fun of them for that. What I get defensive about and very... Um, uh, I'm, I feel very strongly about it, is the, but I have a problem when you say that we can't worship on Sunday. I don't care that you worship on Saturday, but the very fact that your denomination says that anybody worships on Sunday is worshiping the sun, I have an issue with that. So, then so did they, the first church. And so here's the scripture that I take, and, and Paul writes to the Romans to be very clear on the matter, is Romans chapter 14, verses 4 through 6, just good sound uh, scripture to stand on. Why do you worship on the first day of the week? Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, he eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. For he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. The idea is the person is fully convinced in their mind on these matters. If you in your heart say, we are free from all these things. Uh, the, the law has been fulfilled. I worship Jesus every day. Yay. Wonderful. That's a great thing. Worship Jesus every day. Me, I just set Sundays aside. That's a day that I just, I give myself to the Lord. I focus on the Lord. All right, go for it. It's when those two begin to think they're better than the other that we have a problem. 
That's exactly why Paul writes this. Hey, you observe the day. Good for you. And somebody else, and you do that for the Lord. That's wonderful. Make sure that's between you and the Lord. And you, you observe every day or no days, you know, whatever. That's great. As long as you do that as unto the Lord and you're fully convinced and you have no convictions, that's, it's wonderful. But if you start feeling convicted about something, then do what God leads you to do on that matter. But as far as the church goes, we don't have a standing on that. Worship on Sundays. Worship on Saturdays. Some people work all day. You, Sunday is not my day off. <laughs> it is not my Sabbath. You know, there is no, there's no rest that day. And uh, Wednesdays are no different. It's crazy. Wednesdays are always crazy. Um, it's just, that's just how it is. So my day of rest is sometime, I, I don't tell anybody when it is. I can hide. Uh, it's a different day. Um, you got to have that downtime. God knows we need that rest def- desperately. And that, is, that goes for food too. You know, I, I give vegans a hard time. Only because I give them a hard time because I feel like it. I also, I also give fat people a hard time, too, or I give skinny people a hard time, or I give myself a hard time. I, we just give each other a hard time. It's just, it's okay. If, you're, if you don't want to eat meat, absolutely don't eat meat. But if you look at me funny and say that because you're eating meat, you're killing an animal, and you, you shouldn't be doing that, and you're judging me, well, that's when we have a problem. And likewise, if I'm judging you because you're a vegan um, and saying, well, come on, you know, have some pork or, or whatever I would do to a poor vegan person, that's wrong too. They're doing it as unto the Lord. I just really, I just can't eat animals. Then don't, by all means. Or I just can't stop eating animals. Well, then don't, you know. I just can't seem to keep exercising. That, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, it's just letting it go is very important. Um, and you serve Jesus. We don't serve each other. I mean, we serve each other, but we serve each other because we're serving Jesus. It's very important um, that we keep that in mind. And so Paul makes that clear, and we see that here on this in this chapter 28. Um, we have to be very careful about this. They worship on the first day of the week because they thought that was a very special time when they saw the Lord uh, rise from the dead, and they wanted to make that very special. The other part course, is that they're doing the right thing, and I've already mentioned that. They're meeting the Lord. Um, they're going to do what's right um, on, on this Sunday, and they're going early in the morning, and despite what they're feeling, they're going to worship. Um, and so they meet the Lord here. Verse uh, 5, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He, he's not here. For he is risen, and he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. He wants them to be happy. He wants them to spread this good news. It's it's very important. They get to carry the message for the first time. Uh, very first people to carry the message. And that's all they're required to do is to carry the message. How they receive the message, the disciples, when you actually show up and you knock on the door and you say, Jesus is alive, they have no responsibility as to how that person responds. Their responsibility is to share the truth, to share exactly what's happened, to let them know um, that Jesus is alive. They heard it. That's what testifying is. 
I'm not here to convince the jury. I'm not here to convince the judge. You've asked me to come here and sit on this place and to swear in the Bible that what I saw is what I saw. And that's all I can do is tell you what I saw. Now, there may be questions and there may be things fired at that person that say, you know, well, is it really what you saw? Is it? It is. It's exactly what I say. And they may tear you down for saying what you're saying. But all you can do is say, this is my eyewitness account. This is, what I, this is what's happened to me. That's all I can do. All I can do is tell people what Christ has done for me. I can't tell. I can't, I can't go beyond that. Um, I can read God's word and see what he's done for other people, but I can't go beyond that. I can only go and give, give the message that he's given me to give. Um, and so they carry the message. And he says, I want you to do it quickly. First, go ahead and check out that he's actually gone. And they did. They came out of the tomb and they ran and they went quickly. So they did go see for themselves that he truly wasn't there. Um, but then they went. Uh, they went out quickly, and they ran from the, for fear and great joy. Now, I don't know what the fear is about just because they just ran into an angel. Now, I think it's great that the ladies are the ones not as dead men. The, the Roman soldiers are as dead men, but the, the ladies are there staying upright at least. And, but, but they've got this fear. And so I, I got to thinking, what is this fear? It could be two things. Um, it could be their just afraid to believe, maybe. Um, that seems to be a little bit of a stretch. Let's go backwards, though, and say there's a great joy, obviously. But the implications of that great joy and the source of that great joy could be fearful, could be terrifying. Um, there are many people in Jerusalem that aren't going to be happy that Jesus is resurrected. Um, there's going to be problems. Um, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be people that aren't going to want to hear the message that I have to share. It's very possible. That's what this fear is. Um, it could be the fear of the Lord, just the being in the presence of such a, an awesome event. Um, but there also could be some little trepidation. What, well, how is this going to be received? You know. Um, either way, regardless of the fear, they have great joy. They ran, and they brought word to the disciples. Verse 9, and as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there uh, they will see me. Um, this is one of those moments that I usually cry in the, in the other Gospels when I read about Mary uh, clinging to Jesus because she's so happy to see him, so excited for him. Uh, to be around him again, to hold him again, and to, and to hear him, and to hear his voice, and what an amazing... And so when Jesus meets them and says, rejoice, he's as excited to see them again as they're as excited to see him. And I want you to rejoice. And you can hear, there's an exclamation point, so he's, he's loud, you know. Rejoice. Isn't this great? And they do, they cling to him, and they, and they follow him. He says, okay, now don't be afraid, knowing that they're afraid. I want you to go tell my brethren... In Galilee, I want you to share everything about that. So reiterating what the angel had told them to do, he's telling them to go do it again. Um, and I want him to go after they hear this message to go to Galilee and wait for me there. Now we're going to hear here in verse 16, there's just a specific place that they've already set aside for this. There's a mountain that they're supposed to meet at. Um, and we're going to see that in verse 16. I want you to meet me there. Um, Again, the women are doing exactly what they were called to do. First was to go embalm Jesus, which is a horrible event. 
and they and they got to be the first ones to hear the message. But also, as they're also being obedient to the angel, telling them to go tell everybody about it, and they're on their way, Jesus meets them again in that place. Um, in that place of obedience. And, and that is where God is. Oftentimes I want God to find me or to meet me or to speak to me in my place of disobedience. And that's not where he is. What you're going to hear in that place from the Lord is return and get back to where you're supposed to be. Um, what you're not going to hear is it's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll just overlook this sin in your life. No, you're feeling desperate. You're feeling separated from me for a reason. You're not supposed to be here. Um, you're not seeing me. You're not hearing me. God's word is not speaking to you because you're in a place of disobedience. You need to come back. It's in these places of obedience and walking where God wants you to walk, doing what he's asked you to do in his word, that you meet him and that that's where the glory is. That's, you know, uh, Aaron prayed tonight um, about, I pray that our hearts glorify you, you know, and those are terms that we use a lot of times and maybe we don't really know what that means, but what he meant was, I pray that our hearts are elevating you tonight. I pray that they're a blessing to you. I pray that you're glorified in my heart tonight. Um, uh, that's a place of obedience. We're all here to hear about the Lord. And in that place of obedience, God speaks um, and ministers to us. And so they do. We have a great example of that. Verse 11. Now, while they were going, again, Verse 9, as they went. Verse 11, now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard, these are the guys that fell as dead men, uh, came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole them away while while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, who they're going to be responsible for, for losing the dead guy in the tomb, you know, how can you lose a dead guy? You know, if that comes to the governor's ears, um, we'll make you secure. We'll appease him. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. It's a very humiliating thing for these guys to hear that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do, rose from the dead. Um, came out of the tomb. Um, that's exactly what we were afraid was going to take place. We could see, remember when the earthquake took place, when Jesus was crucified and grandma and grandpa who were dead came back to life and they're still walking around right now? Well, they definitely didn't want to see Jesus doing that. Um, and so they got this guard to make it secure. And Pilate says, make it as secure as you can. Um, and so they did and they still lost Jesus, you know? So as these soldiers come in um, and try to get uh, what do you want us to do? I mean, we saw an angel. He rolled the tomb back and or the stone back. Uh, Jesus came out. We were terrified. We were paralyzed with fear. Um, we're basically telling you we lost him. You know, what do you want us to say? Well, don't tell them that that whatever you do. You know, I want you to tell them that they came and stole him away. Let's get this going. So I'm dwelling on this because as soon as the truth comes out the misinformation comes out at the exact same time. Satan wastes no time by bringing out the misinformation at the same time the truth is, so that whatever they hear from now on, there's always going to be a little bit of doubt. There's always going to be a little bit of, are you sure? It's exactly what Satan did in the garden. It's exactly what he did. 
Um, did God really say? Yeah. As I go back in my mind, I think that's his. No, he didn't. And that's where we got into trouble. We began to listen to that deception. And so they're starting off, and Satan is, I'm not letting this go. Immediately, the misinformation comes out. It's just as fast as the truth. Um, and so now we have that straightened out, we believe. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, Paul tries to explain that there are 500 witnesses of Jesus walking around alive after three days in the grave. 500 witnesses. And he writes that at a time where some of those witnesses are still alive. Some have died. Some have gone on to be uh, with the Lord, but some are not. Some are still walking around. So if you're going to write something like this down and circulate a letter to the Corinthians and that goes throughout and everybody's got a copy of this, right? All the churches do. It's meant to be shared. It would easily be refuted. We could go talk to these living eyewitnesses and say, did you really see that? And you could really challenge them and catch them. They weren't caught. Um, it was accepted. Here's the scripture. Verse 5, chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, and after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, or some have died. Most of them are still alive. As I'm writing this, the witnesses are there. Um, for 40 days, Jesus walked around on this earth before he ascended into heaven. That's a big time gap there. He was witnessed by a lot of people. Um, and so we have that. So no matter what the guards are saying or what the guards were paid to say, because um, that's one of the atheists and one of the, you know, uh, Bible fighters. Um, they don't really true, believe it's true that Jesus was uh, resurrected. They think it was all made up and exactly what was said here. Um, they believe verses 11 through 15. But we have more witnesses saying that he was truly alive and that they saw him and that they're still alive. And to, to say that out loud, you see, you're like, well, of course they did. They're his believer. There's disciples. Why wouldn't they? because they lose their life. For them to hold on to a lie, for them to hold on to this misinformation, uh, yeah, no, no, we didn't take the body. Uh, Jesus really did rise from that. For them, um, it was a life or death issue. Nobody continues that lie when they realize they're in a situation where they're going to lose their life if they keep it up. That's when you raise your hand and say, yeah, 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 we were just kidding. We didn't really die or didn't really rise from the dead. Uh, they told me Peter got us all together and said, if we want this movement to continue, then we better get this, our story straight and do all this. You cave under that. You don't go to a cross and die for a lie. That's the evidence. That's one of the most important proofs um, that what we're reading here is exactly the way Matthew says it is. They paid these guys to lie about the resurrection so that the they could stop this. That's what they were worried about. This second deception might be worse than the first deception, they said. So they tried to stop, and it didn't work. And Paul then, of course, later on, writing much later to the Corinthian church, 500 people are still alive that said they saw him. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but 
some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, those aren't his final words, but those are some of the final words that he shared with them. We'll read Acts chapter 1 if we have time, just a little bit of it, um, before we go any further or before we leave Matthew here. To the mountain, they said in verse 16. This is a pre, uh, predetermined place that they were supposed to meet. It's the Mount of Olivet. That's where they were supposed to run and gather. And so they went there and they worshiped him. And some doubted. That's Matthew's nice way of saying, uh, <laughs> not saying Thomas's name, you know, out loud. Um, but there were a, a lot of guys that weren't sure and needed to really touch him and to see him and to watch him eat before they would believe. Um, and Jesus came and he spoke to them. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And, and in fact, I'm been given that power by God. My father has given me that. Um, and so here, here we get into the Trinity, uh, some more basic grounding that we need in God's word. Um, there's grounding in this. We have this. Who gave him authority? The Father gave the Son the authority. You can't have an everlasting Father if you don't have an everlasting Son. So we know that at least we've got those two, for sure, that are everlasting. Um, That Jesus is God come in the flesh. And then finally, um, as we see this authority being given over to him, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, and you baptize them in the name, and that's singular, one name, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Single name, three people. Triunity, whatever you want to call it, but it's three in one. How you describe that, no idea. Um, I don't think we have an adequate way of describing it. Um, it's not as simple as saying an egg, shell, white, yolk. No, it's not like water, steam, and ice. No, because um, those all are separate. This is... This is him together, but separate. We've got that at the baptism, too. We've got the father um, talking about his son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. We've got all three happening there. And he wasn't um, a ventriloquist. He wasn't throwing his voice up into heaven. That was really coming from heaven. And there he was on earth. And then we've got the spirit. And so we've got all three there. Um, So it's important to, to know these things. I want you to baptize people in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. That's the second part of this. I want you to go make disciples, followers of Jesus. I want you to baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. That's part of it. Not just making disciples, but then teaching. Make sure they understand God's word from Genesis to Revelation. Teach them all. Teach them everything. All the things that I have said, I want you to teach them. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That was meant to be encouraging to them. It's a big task, you're asking them. I want you to tell the world about me. I want you to teach the world everything about me and everything I said. So go, you know. Oh, it's a big responsibility, you know. So that's why I wanted to get into Acts 1 to understand. Um, We've got 10 minutes left, so we've got some time. Dr. Luke, the writer of the gospel, is writing 
Acts. So this is Luke 2, verse, basically. And he says this, The former account I made, O Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after he, uh, suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So for 40 days he was alive. We get a lot of information here. Here's what went down, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So where we left off in Matthew was, I want you guys to make disciples, I want you to baptize, and I want you to teach them everything. But before you go do that, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until I give you the power from on high to do that. I'm with you always, but you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. So here Luke gives us the rest of the story. Wait there until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they thought you were going to do it last time, and then you died. And now you're up again. Is, is now the time you're going to do this? I mean, should we be arguing about who's the greatest? I'm kidding. I don't know if they were doing that or not, but that's kind of where they're heading back to. And they're not listening to him. I want you to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. So are you going to do your kingdom thing now? His response is, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power, back to what I was talking about, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wait for that. Because then you're going to be able to go out and share the gospel and do the Great Commission. But you can't do that. To, to, to read only Matthew, this is why I'm spending time on this. To read and to memorize the last part of Matthew is the Great Commission. And to not read chapter 1 of Acts is to do anybody a great disservice. Because they will read the Great Commission, not filled with the Spirit, step out to do it in their own strength and power and fail miserably. And come with their tail back between their legs. Nothing's happening. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody wants to hear the gospel. Because you're doing it in your own strength. You're tired. You're worn out. You're burnt out. That's the word they use now. Because you're doing it in your own strength. You're not doing it. There's no power. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit. So that's why we read Acts chapter 1. Yes, let's go out and make disciples. But you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. And so he tells them, you're saved, you're born again, you believe on me. That happened a long time ago when he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. We remember that from one of the other Gospels. This is different. This is apart from salvation. This is not them finally getting it in Jerusalem as they're praying and picking disciples. This is a separate moment. Before you go do what I asked you to do, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, It just takes so much burden off. It takes so much off of the person and the responsibility. I'm not saying we don't have that responsibility. You do have a responsibility to answer the call and to go. Like the ladies went to the tomb, like the ladies carried the message. They're doing what they're supposed to do. But to be effective, Peter just knows better than to open his mouth anymore. He's got to be in that place saying, you want me to talk more to people? 
after I told you that you're not going to die on the cross, that I told you you weren't going to be denied three times by anybody and that I would die for you, and then I went and did the exact opposite, I'm kind of tired of sticking my foot in my mouth. When you're filled with the Spirit, Peter, it's going to be different. And boy, was it ever. And we'll get into that next week in chapter 2 of Acts. So I want you to wait. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner uh, like you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back again. This isn't the time for us to stand here gawking at the sky. He's gone. He's told you what he's going to do. Now go do what you're supposed to do. Go wait in Jerusalem. So then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, different Judas. <laughs> the Judas is gone. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, and with his brethren. There's a ton of people there, 120 people are in this upper room, it says all waiting on the Lord, all waiting for this baptism, all waiting for what's next. They don't know what to expect. All they know is they're doing what he asked them to do. None of them are saying, now let's wait for the tongues of fire to come. Let's wait for us all speaking different languages. Let's wait for, they didn't know any of that was going to take place. All they knew is they were supposed to sit still and wait, you know? And that's kind of what you tell a kid, isn't it? You tell a kid, just sit here, okay? Why? Just sit there. Okay, I don't have time to explain it to you. Just do what I ask you to do. All right. And because of their obedience, they're blessed. Now, if they don't sit there, bad things happen, right? I told you to sit there for a reason. Uh, it's safe for you. Because they do this, they're going to be so blessed. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at Peter, but Peter's going to try to talk without the Holy Spirit here. He stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And he said... Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called, in their own language, um, akel dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, uh, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. So Peter's picked up all, now, all that and he says, we need to pick someone to replace Judas. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become the witness uh, with us of his resurrection. There's got to be 12. Now, I don't know why he thinks there has to be 12. Maybe he does. And I don't mean to give him a hard time about it, but he didn't tell them, and now while you're waiting for me, pick a 
pick a, 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 a fill-in for Judas who didn't do so well. They weren't asked to do this. And so that's why I kind of wonder about this Matthias guy who's who they pick. You never hear about Matthias the rest of the scriptures, really. <laughs> he really doesn't do anything. Um, and that's why we hear so much about Paul, though, I think. I think Jesus was very much in charge of the church and knew exactly who he was going to pick. And my guess is Paul was probably supposed to be the 12th. He's the replacement. He's the guy. Paul writes most of the New Testament. That tells me a lot uh, that his stamp of approval was on. Jesus met him on the road and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, it was a moment. Um, A lot different than everybody voting to see who's the 12th guy here. But they do. So they proposed two people, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Oh, uh, you, O oh Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might also go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, Maybe, maybe not. Take it for a grain of salt, my opinion on the matter. But we never hear about him again, and all we hear about is Paul from here on out. Um, And that's where we leave off tonight. The disciples waiting. The disciples waiting for what God has for them. And that's where we pick up next week. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon, and this is the birth of the church. The church is not birthed yet. I mean, you've got 12 guys and you've got 120 people that are, are, are saved. And so the church is, that's fine. But the mission begins in Acts chapter 2. And that's when they go out and begin to become effective ministers on behalf, behalf of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for tonight, for um, the facts, the emotion, the heart, um, your love, and obviously They were so excited to see you. Um, We thank you for that, letting us share in that. For Matthew taking the time to write that down. Um, In a a male-dominated world back then, when there's a lot shared about the women, they saw that, they recognized that, um, that these ladies were there, and they're the ones that carried the message first, and they gave credit for that by writing these things down. And so we're thankful for that. They were obedient um, to write down exactly how it went down, It's a very humbling thing for Matthew and the rest of the guys to write something like this, that they weren't there, that they didn't get the message first, that they didn't even believe at first. Um, It gives all the more uh, credibility to their eyewitness account um, as they write it just like it went down. And so Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that our faith is increased, Lord, that we're able to take all of your word that we're able to hold on to it and as inerrant, as perfect, as truth, and we can walk with it and have our full confidence in it like they did. Um, I pray that we'll be able to continue to do that, Lord. And Lord, help us to be more gracious with one another. As we, um, they, they worshiped on the first day of the week, and we talked about that a little bit, just to not take it so hard. Maybe we don't do that. Maybe they do do that, but... If it's not contrary to your word, if it's not uh, against Scripture, it's, it's a negotiable. Um, it's something that we can um, do as unto you in our worship with you. And so help us to see that. Um, and we love you. I pray that you bless these folks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.